Welcome to the Entourage Podcast. My name is Paige Scott, and I'm going to be your host. Entourage Ministries gets its inspiration from Psalm 6811 that says, The Lord gives the command, and a great army of women proclaim the good news. Entourage is a multi-generational, multi-denominational, multicultural women's ministry based in Durant, Oklahoma. Join us today as we dive into truth from the Word so that your heart and spirit may be encouraged. Ladies, thank you for joining us today. Um, I have a very special friend and guest on the podcast with us here today. Um, You're going to meet her in just a minute. Her name is Charlie, Charlie Labrico, and it is my anticipation that this podcast um, will come out sometime around Mother's Day. And I just want to say from the onset that we have a couple of ambitions in inviting Charlie to share in what is a, a powerful testimony and story um, of, of navigating uh, motherhood, the miraculous, and really as an umbrella to both of those things, hope. So specifically for those who are desiring to be mom, they have that God-given desire in their heart, and um, that hope has been deferred um, either through loss or um, maybe, maybe just um, you're you're not married yet, and that season hasn't come. But you have that desire in your heart. Whatever that looks like, those who are navigating that desire and that hope seems deferred. We want to encourage you with Charlie's story. Um, those who are grieving amidst their loss and feel unseen, and may feel like they are alone, and that no one knows the pain of what they're going through. Um, we want you to be encouraged and seen as you listen um, to Charlie's story. And then last but not least, for anyone who uh, who may have left their hope somewhere along the way, regardless of what context that is in, we pray that this time and these words and the testimonies, that they stir hope within you and that you find something is conceived within you by the end of, of this podcast interview, uh, something of the Lord and something that has the DNA of hope and faith and love. So with that, Charlie, why don't you tell everyone just kind of the, the one minute version of who is Charlie Labrico, a little bit about your life, and then we'll go more into the specifics of your, your story. All right. I am a wife and a mother. Um, Ten years this week we'll be married. Yay. Congrats. That's worth celebrating. It is. We're excited. Um, We made it through. (laughs) Um, I did not grow up in church, so I was saved my freshman year in high school. And so my journey with the Lord started there, kind of a tumultuous life before that between um, my mom and my dad left when I was little. And so it was my mom and my brother and lots of husbands along the way. So um, mothering and being a wife was not really something I ever thought I'd be, Um, but I am, and it is now my identity, and I love it. Yeah. So So you have two daughters. Two daughters, Gabby and Izzy. Gabby will be nine in a couple of weeks, right after the new baby's born, and then Isabel, she is six, and then we're currently eight months pregnant now. Okay, and and the baby in her tummy, as my little girls would say, her name is Evelyn Hope. And um, at the end of this, we're going to talk more about Evelyn Hope. And for those of you who are at Hope now, we're going to talk about um, something the Lord did in Charlie's heart at at the Hope Now conference. But let's back up before that for for just a minute, so we can have the context of what was going on in your world um, when you stepped into the conference. So, um, Gabby, um, did you have any difficulty um having having Gabby when no, it was, we it, used a midwife labor or deliver let's see pregnancy was amazing I worked all the way through I worked all the way up until the Friday before I gave birth to her I used a midwife so we used a birthing center in Sherman and you know labor was hard but it's supposed to be so yeah. um, but no everything was beautiful and wonderful with her And then two years later, we got pregnant with Izzy, and we were on the same path using a midwife. Everything was great. Her her six-month sonogram that we needed to get done so the midwife could have some more information 
Um, we went to a sonographer and they got kind of sketchy after a while. And we're like, what is going on? She left the room, brought somebody else in. <clears throat> and then they came back and said, well, we can't tell you what's going on, but we tell you that we see extra parts. And so we're like, is that like a third leg? Like, what does that mean that you see extra parts? But they wouldn't tell us anything. So we had to wait Labor Day weekend until they would send the all of this testing to our midwife. And then she called me and told me that she had a condition and that we would have to start seeing a high-risk specialist in Dallas for that condition from there on out. And she would, we it was going to be a long road. So that um that you all have navigated and continue to navigate with such grace and Izzy and Gabby are both precious human beings. They are, they are. And so probably a couple of years after you were settled into that rhythm of mm-hmm. your life, being mom of two and and also fulfilling the role of, of caregiver in that, mm-hmm. you and Zeph um decided to just kind of organically yeah. go for round three. Yeah. We thought why not have another or we found out we were having another and thought, why not? <laughs> and so um, we were pregnant, and I've always had a very soft spot in my heart for women in miscarriage. I had a really good friend of mine in college um, have to deliver stillborn on its due date. So she went to the doctor. Everything was good. They said, come back tomorrow. We'll induce you. You'll have a baby. And um, she went back the next day and there was no heartbeat. And I remember going to the hospital and not having any idea what to say or what to do, but just knowing that you should just show up mm-hmm. because that's just, you. God shows up for us. You should just show up. And so from that moment, I knew that I would never complain about being pregnant because there were so many, you never knew who you would run into who had that pain in their heart of being pregnant and not bringing that to fruition, not being able to have a baby in their arms. And so I never complained about any pregnancy symptoms. It's just one of those things I wouldn't do. And then so about eight weeks into that third pregnancy, um, I started bleeding and had a miscarriage. And um, it was hard. You know, you, you walk with the Lord and you know that the Lord loves you. And that he's given you this life and you kind of, and then at times you also feel bad because you're like, how are we going to make this work? We're still walking through so many things with a kid with a rare disease. So how how are we going to juggle all of this? But, you know, God, you know what's best for us and we're going to do this. And then you get to the point and you lose that baby. And then, and it's one of those silent things that people don't, people don't want to acknowledge. Grief is a very difficult thing for people. And that's definitely one of the things God has taught me through all of our losses is to help people understand how to deal with other people with grief, because most of the time we want to turn away from it and not acknowledge it. And as a mom who's lost babies, that's the hardest thing is for someone to not acknowledge that you had a baby and that that baby was alive in your heart, but you'll never get to hold it and you'll never get to see it grow up and you'll you'll never experience those things and then for people to out of a goodness ignore that you're sitting in that space yeah is very difficult yeah absolutely absolutely i i remember when when my family was going through a, a divorce under kind of scandalous circumstances which is totally different um but, still grief <laughs> but I remember everyone they reached a point toward the end of school I was a sophomore in high school that everyone knew what was going on and no one would ask me about it no one no one would mention it it was like I lived in an alternate reality and I so at that point in time I made a decision that if I know that someone is going through something at the risk of sounding nosy I'd rather just address and confront their grief and let them think whatever they want to but to me what you described and so I'm just I'm sharing this as a reminder to all of us to be bold in our comfort 
and not fearful of what people's perceptions are because you never know when someone is just desperate for you to acknowledge and say the, the truth grief is they're in. the truth is they're hurting no matter what you bringing it up doesn't make it hurt less it actually acknowledges that they are in pain and that someone sees their pain which is what most of us in life we just want to be seen whether it's the good, the bad, or the ugly, we just want someone to see where we are, which is, to me, what's always been so amazing about God mm-hmm. and was, is what actually drew me to Him when I was a freshman, is that He, I mean, He said, I will love you no matter what. And so in, those, in that moment that I said, okay, I'm doing that, it was because there was someone who was going to see me and still love who they saw, but not back away and would would press into that. And and that's always kind of been where I've stood as a Christian. I don't want to back away from people who are hurting. I want to press into that and let them know that they're seen. That's right. And as we are vessels of Jesus, you never know when it's going to be your eyes looking into theirs that they actually get a glimpse of their Savior. Not that Not that we are saviors because we are not, but Christ is in us. And there may be just a grace to demonstrate his love in that unconditional love that you're talking about. So, well, so, and before I could see his love, there were people in the church who who showed me what love was and did the same thing. They pressed in instead of pulling away. Yeah. And so, when it was time for God to press in, I had all these people who I could go, okay, so that's that's what that is. That's what that looks like. Mm-hmm. That's a beautiful testimony. So us as people, yes, is that's our job to do so that when God is ready and when that person is ready, they can look around and go, okay, that's that's what this looks like. That's that's yeah. what love looks like. Yeah. So you walked through this uh, first loss, mm-hmm. and um, and and then. Then what happened after then, this begins kind of a three to four year journey? Mm-hmm. Um, so that was kind of an early loss. It was one of those when it happens that early, not many people even knew we were pregnant outside of our family. And so it wasn't one of those things I felt comfortable, you know, shouting from the rooftops mm-hmm. <laughs> because um, it felt like it went by so fast. Mm-hmm. And then about a year later, we found out we were pregnant again. And then, um, and of course, that was just kind of surrounded in a little bit of fear. Izzy was due to have a surgery, and I was right at about my 10 to 11-week mark. Mm -hmm. And so I was having to rush doctor's appointments to get my first visit in because the type of surgery she was having, she'd have drain tubes for at least six weeks. And so it would be a lot of doctor's visits, a lot of care of her at home, and I wouldn't be able to make because... When you have a, a kid with a rare disease and they have surgeries and things like that, there's no one in your family who wants to take care of them. <laughs> they want to come over and they want to love on them, but to be the care, the sole caregiver to make sure that tubes get drained if I'm not home in time and to make sure that they don't get pulled out and all of those things. So there was going to be no one else. So I explained that to the doctor. And so they got me in really quickly before she had her surgery. And... um So we were 10, 11 weeks pregnant then. So we show up for that appointment, and there was no heartbeat. So we went through all the stuff with the doctor, went in for the sonogram, and um, the baby was already gone. And so we um, went home. She said, you know, you're going to, you'll just pass the baby on your own. It won't be that bad, which was a lie. (laughs) And so we go home, we have Izzy surgery. I come home from that surgery, and about two days later, um, I start bleeding. And it's about 10 o'clock at night, like when the big, if you've had a miscarriage, there's this moment where like everything happens Mm -hmm. and you basically deliver your baby. And um, I delivered my baby in a toilet because you don't really know any different. And um, and I felt the moment that he or she released from my body, like the moment that they came out. And I thought, this is the worst thing ever. Like, how do people go through this, especially on their own? Like, I at least had a little bit of support. But how in the world? I, I just, 
And it was just so much loss. And it was also a loss centered around having to having so many other responsibilities to take care of at that time. So even the loss couldn't fully be absorbed by me because there were so many other things that still needed to be taken care of. And which is typically what happens, I think, for most moms who have kids already and then have miscarriages is that, I mean, life just goes on. It continues to move forward. And even though, you know, you have to move forward with it, sometimes kicking and screaming. That loss was very difficult on my oldest daughter because she was very excited for a baby. And, um, of course, it's just not something that she understood. She was six. She's about six at the time. And so I dealt a lot with how do you how do you teach your kids to deal with miscarriage? How do you how do you teach them that God still loves you and that all of that stuff is still very real in the middle of such pain? And there not being any relief for that pain. So and I had to teach her how to, and as I'm learning, having to teach her how to you got to let it all out. Like you can't keep it in. It's impossible to keep all of that pain in and still be worth anything. You know, so we, we take our five minutes and we'll cry and then we'll wash our face and we'll keep going. And then the next time you need to cry, we'll cry and we'll wash our face and we'll keep going. So what a beautiful picture of motherhood. You said, I'm trying to teach my daughters. I'm learning myself. (laughs) That is motherhood in a sentence, in a nutshell. We, our entire life, I mean, very true. this morning, Jesse and I were having a conversation about how when in the book of John, being born again is, or be, getting saved in Christ is compared to being born again. And it, it's because it marks this journey of forwardness. Mm-hmm. Like you're not going to stay this way. It's, it's learning. And so, or just like as we parent, we're just a little further along in the journey than mm-hmm. our kids. And what a gift that you invited your daughter in to to that. And, um, that, that is beautiful. So at that point you probably thought can't take yeah. much more. Mm-hmm. And then what happened? And we also, we like bought a bigger vehicle to house all these babies. And like, and I think a, a moms who are listening to this and are walking through this feel the same way. I'm like, you got to sell that car. I don't care where it goes, but it's got to get out of here. Like I can't, I can't look at something that I bought to grow our family and it be a constant everyday reminder that we're not going to fill it. So, you know, there, there are things like that, that you, I think if you've never been through it, you don't understand that it could be something small like that, that could break you in the middle of the day (laughs) of thinking, okay, yeah, there's not going to, there was supposed to be a baby right there, but now there's not going to be. And so, through that experience, through the second miscarriage, we um, we just kept trucking along. You know, I had I had Izzy to take care of, I had Gabby to take care of. Um, in a lot of ways, already having children makes it a little easier to keep going because these people need you. You know, you're not you're not allowed to just sit in bed and cry and not get out of bed in the morning, which is what you want to do. And so. Um, then about another year later, we f- get pregnant again. And we're very, very excited, but very scared. Um, I read an article not that long ago about a mom who pregnant after lo- after loss, and you realize that you don't think about when this baby's born. Your words are always if. Mm-hmm. if. If the baby happens, or if we make it to this many weeks, or if... You know, it it no longer just becomes this full of confidence when the baby gets here. Mm-hmm. It's always if we make it to the next doctor's appointment and what's going to happen when we make it to the next mm-hmm. doctor's appointment. You know, will you hear a heartbeat? Will you not? Like they're, it, just going to the doctor was such a like, oh, my God, like I don't want to do it because I don't want to walk in and have someone else tell me. There's no, there's no heartbeat. This is, you know, your hopes and dreams gone again. So um, we got another, a new doctor because I didn't want to walk into that same room again that I had 
had had so much pain in before. And so we got a new doctor. The first visit was okay. Nothing remarkable. They could hear a heartbeat, so we were excited. You know, we could have some hope that, that okay, this got further than the last one. So maybe it'll all be okay. Um, our kids are very excited. Um, Izzy's a little bit older. She can, you know, everyone can understand. I'm throwing up all the time. So the girls are taking care of me because my husband's not very good at the puking. <laughs> and so the girls would bring me peppermints and water and rub my back as I'm throwing up. <laughs> and so they're very invested in this pregnancy as well. And so the first visit was okay. The second visit, we found out there was no heartbeat, and that was on a Thursday. And so she um, had told us as well, um, if you want to have a DNC, you know, wait till Monday, see how things are going, and then let me know. But I remember going home and thinking, I just can't, I can't keep doing this. I can't have this person that I had so much hope for, that I had these dreams for. I, I just can't sit here with them knowing that they're dying and that they're dead inside of me. I just can't do it. So we ended up going to the hospital the next day and I'm um, having a DNC done. And at that point, my husband and I were like, we're just, I think we're just done. Like we can't, this is a hurt we can't keep going through. We have two beautiful children God has blessed us so much with them. Izzy is a miracle in herself. And so we'll just be happy and thankful for what we have because there are people who, who don't get any. And so we'll just, we'll, we'll just live this life. This will be our life. Two is good. Two is good. And so that had been... That had been where we were. And I had a, a good friend of mine who we found out about the same time that we were pregnant. She was still pregnant and I wasn't. So that was that's a difficult journey to walk through with someone and to continue watch for them. And then I have other friends who have also lost two or three babies. So it was one of the, I could also know that I could talk to them or just being in their presence. We understood the pain that the other one felt when other people don't want to acknowledge your loss because, and that comes from a good place. But um, after that third miscarriage, God kind of laid on my heart that it was eventually going to be my job to teach people how to grieve and to grieve well. Um, because people ask you some really stupid questions when you have a miscarriage. And, um, but no one wants to say, that's really dumb. Don't ask that. <laughs> but um, I felt I could do that with some of my closest friends. And so I kind of started a, a little walk there, a little bit of a ministry and educating people who I loved how not to say dumb things. <laughs> when people <laughs> Is that the formal name of your ministry? How not to say dumb things. Yeah. yeah that I sounds love great. <laughs> I love it. Yes, exactly. I've we'll been do a through... different episode someday on yes. that. Not today, but I but I love that. No, not to say dumb things yeah. when people are grieving. I've grieved a lot of different ways throughout my life, and um, people say really dumb things. Even the grief, like with Izzy, people said really dumb things. And luckily, one of our pastors, he was like, people are going to say really dumb things. <laughs> He's like, just keep walking. So, um, yeah, people say really dumb things when you're grieving. Yeah. Well, um, so you got – so – after that, after your third loss, um, you just said that you and Seth were like done, and that just kind of was the the summary of where your heart was, mm -hmm. where your mind was, um, and that would have been kind of an earlier 2019, first mm -hmm. part of the year, somewhere in there. And so fast forward um, to September 2019, you come um, to Hope Now Conference, and the Lord had had given that as a theme to our team uh, about stirring hope, stirring hope in in people, and um, and so anyway, so you came. I, I think I asked you to help 
on some project mm-hmm. that was there was, going on. Headbands. We were doing yeah. the tiara headband thing. Yes. yes. It, it would make sense if you were there. So just go with it. <laughs> if you don't understand. Uh, no, it was not for the ladies at the conference. We did not we make crowns. adult women wear crowns. It was not that kind of women's conference. It was for a different event that little girls <laughs> were going to be coming to. Um, but anyway, the Lord began sparking something inside of you that night. So tell me what happened with the speaker, what was said, um, and what you began to realize kind of in night night one. So she was talking about a friend of hers who, um, and I can't remember if she, if her friend had had miscarriages already or if she, I think that she had, and she was currently pregnant and she was afraid that she was going to lose that baby as well. And so they, she had talked about praying over her and that um, the one thing her friend said to her was, I'm just, I'm afraid to hope. And she thought, isn't that the saddest thing that someone is afraid to hope for a baby? And she's, you know, she said that just wasn't something she had heard before really. And so she began to pray for her friend. The next day, her friend went to the doctor's office for a pregnancy test, and she was pregnant. Mm-hmm. And it was just this great celebration of hoping and what it would be like to hope. And in my own heart, God said, do you think you could hope for that? And I thought, nope, don't think I can. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I can. Um, and she spoke that night about how you have to build, you have your faith and hope builds on top of faith. And we had been working out for years, especially with everything with Izzy about our faith. So I felt like our faith was pretty good. Like we, we knew that path, but I didn't realize, and I didn't know at the time that scripture talks about, you have to have hope on top of faith to really get the things you want and the things that you're, you're desiring. And so I thought to myself, yeah, we don't, I have no hope in the Lord for a baby. Like I've hoped in the Lord for so many things and, and I have hoped and I've had faith that he would heal my daughter and that, um, her life would be exactly what he wants it to be and that we would be able to walk that out. But I realized that I had lost hope in other things and in other areas and, um, So she spoke more about that that night, and um, I remember just God planting a little seed in my heart and saying, I just want you to think about if you could have hope in me again. Mm -hmm. And I never realized that I had lost the hope. Mm -hmm. I mean, day-to-day life, you know, still having a relationship with Him, leaning on Him for everything, and I just didn't realize that there was no hope anymore. And so I went home and I thought about that and, and I said, okay, I'll think about hope. And then there was also this still small voice that said, you could be pregnant right now if you just want to hope for it. And I thought, I don't know if I want to hope for it. Like, I just don't know. Like, Too painful. The, yeah. The possibility. The, of- mm-hmm, the honest reality between me and the Lord. And that's the kind of relationship I have with him is that even through all of these miscarriages and through all of the grief and the loss, I've never blamed God for anything. I've yelled at Him, and I've raged in His direction, and I've asked Him a lot of questions, which are all okay things to do because He can handle that. But I've I've never sat down in the grief and went, this is just all your fault. You need to take some responsibility for this, and you need to fix it. I mean, that's never—because I really, truly feel that the day He saved me and that He told me that He would love me forever, if He never did anything else for me, that was enough. And I've lived that every day, even though all of these things hurt and I want these things and I wanted these babies and I didn't want these other people to die and all of those things. He did enough for me that day on the cross that if he never did anything else, I'd I'd just have to be okay with that. And so in all of my questioning and in all of my pain, it was more that I took those things to him and let him let him sort it out 
instead of me trying to do that and instead of me asking him to fix it, it was just more, here it is. I don't know what to do with these feelings. I don't know what to do with this pain. I don't know what to do with this grief, but I can't keep it. It will destroy me and it will destroy these people around me. So I can't keep it. You have to take it. Mm-hmm. And so in in those, in that moment of the Hope Now conference, he started to say, okay, I've taken all of it. Now it's time to put the good back in. It's time to start. Your tank is kind of empty. Let's start filling it up with things like hope again. That's so powerful. And that the, in Proverbs, it says that hope deferred makes the heart sick. And what I love about what Charlie's saying is that she was, she was heart sick and she was heart sick because of loss. But something that was collateral to that loss was that her hope had been lost along the way. It was not a conscious decision like when her and her husband said, "I'm no, too painful, can't do it. It's not like they, they were saying hope were sidelining you, but the, their hope was deferred. And and uh, our past, my campus pastor explains it. I think it's, it's him that does this. He talks about like a bow and arrow being pulled back. And, um, and then when you are in that, that pulled back position, like you're going to release an arrow, but you're not, you're just holding on to it. That's like what hope deferred is. It's, it's not releasing what is meant to be released. And, and when Charlie talks about the relationship of faith and hope, um, she, she's referencing Hebrews 11. And, and I think it, it says, um, faith is the evidence of, of things hoped for, the, the assurance of things not yet seen. And a, a picture of that um, is, is this. And I want to use what Charlie said about her and her husband as an example. If you can picture, if you've been to the ocean, a beach boardwalk, what you'll see is um, there are these like stilts or piers that come up like from the depths of the sand over the ocean. And then there's a boardwalk on top of those that people are able to, to walk on, either to fish or to dine or whatever. And so to use the Hebrews example, faith is kind of like that boardwalk. It's what we walk by faith, um, not just by sight. So when you are walking out into depths, that faith is is like a boardwalk. But hope are like those piers that is holding that boardwalk up so that that boardwalk is just not bouncing to and fro on the waves or sinking into the water. There is something that is anchored and that faith. And so I just wanted to share that if someone has ever like struggled to grasp that relationship of faith and hope. So so what the, the Lord is essentially was saying to Charlie was, I know that you're walking by faith, but are you ready to let me get back into a place that we can secure this with your hope in me? So, so Charlie, you gave things over to you. He starts stirring this in your heart. Do you think you can hope in me again? You go home and think about it. <laughs> that's what every good woman does, right? Yeah, that's right. I'm going to think about you that. You think about that. And uh, and you come back the next day, and does the Lord relent on, does he stop stirring hope in your heart on no. day two? <laughs> no. I didn't, uh-uh. That's not how it works. So what, what happened no. on the last day of the conference? And I'll say, too, I also had to, one of the reasons I didn't jump right in was because I've got other people to think about, too. Like, can I, can my husband hope again? And if we go through loss, will I be blamed? Because that's reality. Um, can my daughters hope again? Because this has been a big, it's been a, it's been a big thing for them. And I noticed it with more, the more losses we have, or with our last loss. Um, at one point, my six-year-old, I would been over to do something, and she's like, "Mom, you're happy with us, like us two girls, right?" And I'm like, "I love you so much. You're the best thing that has ever happened to me. You're the best thing I've ever done." And she said, "But you're still really sad that you lost your baby." And I'm like, "I am." She goes, "Well, you get what you get, and you don't throw a fit." <laughs> and I'm like, "You're that's that's true. That's a six-year-old." Has she heard of her mama say that before? Um, her teacher used to say her it all te- the time. Okay. So when she went to school right over here, Mrs. Grace used to say it all the time. You get what you get. You don't throw a fit. So that became our mantra. And then with my oldest daughter, it was just very painful. I'd walk into her room and she'd be crying. 
just in her bed crying. And I thought, oh, what, you know, and, and not so much, but as a mom, you think, what have I done? And can I do this to you again? Like, what if we do this and we get the same result? How do I, how do I bring this whole tribe of people along with me and hoping? Like, so it wasn't, it really wasn't just my decision to hope, but at the same time, I was the one that God was speaking to. And so I had to decide, am I going to start this? Am I going to have this conversation? And so day two comes along and everything is still about hope. (laughs) And then, and there are times where if you've experienced loss of any kind, um, when you are confronted with it, you just want to run away. So I remember sitting at the conference, people were speaking, and then like this mom and her kid and her baby come in, and I'm thinking, I got to get out of here. Like, I cannot be here right now. And God is like, just sit there. Just sit there. It's going to be fine. Just sit there. And so I was like, okay, I've got to tune this out and listen here. But um, no, he didn't relent. He didn't give up. And so I sat there and I, keep, I kept listening and I kept trying to focus in on him. And then um, you were speaking about Ruth, and which has always been one of my favorite stories anyway. I feel like I have a bit of a Ruth and Naomi relationship with my mother-in-law because she is fantastic. Mm-hmm. And so he just kept on and on about hope. And in the And it's like I just felt this little bit of light within me going, if you want it, it's there. You you just have to decide if if you want to hope for it or not. And then you made a statement closer to the end of the day that said, hope is where, when you can't find your hope, it's where you last left it. And I thought, yeah, three babies ago, that's where I last left it. Mm -hmm. And to think, okay, in some way, so if 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 the baby is where I left it, that's where I have to go pick it up. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, I can hope for this. I can hope for this. It's going to be hard, and it won't be easy, but um, I can. I can. We can together. You and I, God, can do that. And then it's all. And then in my mind and in my heart, I'm like, it's all up to you. So if you screw this one up, <laughs> if it doesn't work out, if it if it all goes away, then I at least did what I was supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And we talked a lot about how faith, well, you just mentioned it, but faith building on hope. And I thought, I've got the faith stuff down, but I didn't realize I needed hope to go with it. I didn't just didn't know that. No one had ever said it. I'd never read it. And so I didn't realize that And so in my mind, I'm like, I've had faith through these past three pregnancies, but I never hoped in the Lord. And in my mind, I thought, is that where I went wrong? And not that the losses were my fault, but any mom who's lost a baby feels that blame on some level. Um, But in my mind, I thought, if I could put my faith and my hope together, then this this should work. Like the Bible says it works. (laughs) So then all of this should work should work together. Yeah. I, um, so what I remember, I didn't know what was going on at the time because I was doing other things, but at this point the conference is over and I'm probably definitely in Martha mode and Mm -hmm. loading trailers and like, (laughs) um, tearing down. But I remember that there's like a remnant of the (laughs) prayer and ministry team. Because I procrastinated and waited till the very last possible moment I could ask anyone for help. Yeah, so this is tear down, house lights are on. (laughs) Most folks are gone, but Charlie would have actually known a lot of folks that were on the prayer ministry team. And so I can kind of see like, man, there's something going over there with with Charlie. She's being ministered to. So literally, and I I just love this too. I love that you came, and it it goes to show, you just never know what the Lord's doing in someone's heart. You came in and the Lord began with a whisper and kind of that flicker of light that you talked about. And then conference is over. You're still there. You're still thinking, and those people are still there to minister to you. So this is a moment where you're like, okay, 
all right, I'm ready to marry faith and, and hope, and I, I'm ready to put my hope back into the mm-hmm. in the Lord in this. So what, what happens? Well, I um, knew then? that if I left there without saying anything, that I would give it all up. I just knew I would. So I kind of sat there, and I looked around the room at all these women who I admire, and I thought, well, God, you can have one of them come talk to me. It'll be fine. <laughs> they'll, they'll, they'll know. You tell them, and they'll know. And then so, but I'm watching different people and I'm thinking, okay, who, who's the person who's going to get it? You know, who, and who's still hanging around that I can actually stop and say. And so my friend Hannah Sheriff was sitting down still and I thought, well, if Hannah's still here, I'm going, I'm going now. So I bolted for her and um, I just told her, I said, Hannah, I don't quite know what is going on. I know that God is speaking to me about hope, and I think, I really think He wants me to hope for a baby. I'm like, but that's crazy. Like, it's just crazy after everything we've been through. And so she's like, well, let's pray. So she starts praying and speaking in tongues, which are things that are new to me, being a Baptist girl. Um, But, and so I'm just sitting there and I'm listening, and then she, she says, Charlie, do you think that He wants to birth a baby? Or maybe a ministry. And I said, if I'm honest, I want a baby. I just want a baby. And she said, okay. And I said, but if I'm really honest, I want both. I want I want the baby and I want the ministry and however God wants to do those things. You know, and so and so for a moment I'm kind of having a, a little bit of a well, maybe it is just ministry. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm just a little off here, and and maybe it's ministry. But then, as I sit there and more women are praying for me, I'm like, no, I want a baby. I really, really do. And um, but that's a hard thing to hope for, and that's a really hard thing to ask for after so much. And two, because we had come to the point where I'm like, just be happy with what you have. You know, just be happy with where you are in life. And just let it go. Like your life is great. And so, but I'm like, no, I want a baby. And so I had, there were some other women praying for me and um, Hannah's mom was praying and she, in her, she said she had this vision of me picking up my sword out of a corner. And I thought that's exactly where my sword has been. I haven't been fighting for anything for a while. Um, when everything started happening, when I was pregnant with Izzy, it took so much just to get through every day, just the physical requirements of a kid with a rare disease and everything that that took, took so much to just get through a day. So I'm so thankful for the foundation we had built because we were just treading water every day and we had gotten kind of used to that. And we had gotten very used to, we're just dealing with today and maybe tomorrow. We don't think any further ahead than that. And so God was telling me, it's time for you to pick up your sword and get back in the fight and to not just live off of what you know. It's time to learn more. It's time to do more. It's time to get back in it. And I went, yeah, you're right. It is time. Like things have settled down. Things have calmed down. Now, if I'm pregnant, I'm not sure how much, you know, like we'll see where the fighting takes place. But, um, and so sitting there with those women who felt, who had so much confidence in the Lord that this could happen, that I could have a baby changed a lot of things as well. Because when you're kind of just trying to do it on your own, and praying between, when I when it just me and God praying about it, I'm like, am I crazy? Like, is this really? But then to align myself with women of faith and hope and who know how to fight, mm-hmm. to tell me and to look me in the face and say, okay, everyone's let you get away with it long enough. It's time for you to fight. And I went, you know what? You're, I can appreciate that. You're right. <laughs> Let's start fighting. And here we are, eight months pregnant, Woo-hoo. fighting away going to have a baby in about 30 days. Yes. Um, so is, just to do the quick math on that, Charlie, in fact, was early pregnant. Yes, I was. Um, about three days. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and the Lord was preparing 
her heart and hope because she would need hope um, to to navigate those mm-hmm. coming months. And so, so the baby's name is Evelyn Hope. Evelyn Hope. And what a testimony that that she will have, yes. uh, her namesake and Ebenezer of of the testimony of hope in. And so, anyway, I just think it's absolutely incredible. And I love the, the vision that Kimberly had about you picking up mm-hmm. your sword. And the Lord spoke to me about this, this this week. It may have been yesterday. But sometimes we just we treat battle just as a negative thing in our mind. Like, oh, I'm really in a battle right now. Well, if you're in a battle, you're in a battle to be victorious and um, sometimes in pain and exhaustion, there are moments mm-hmm. of retreat. And you know what? God is, God is our retreat. Mm-hmm. So there are seasons where we should retreat in Him. But then there are moments where God calls us to the front lines of battle mm-hmm. to defeat giants and, um, and, and to go out in His strength and in His hope. And so that is my encouragement to the ladies listening, no matter where you find yourself or see yourself in Charlie's story, that if you have have lost hope in the Lord along the way, that that you would pray that He would stir that in you, that you would pick back up your sword and that you would go mm-hmm. um, that you would go to the battle lines, even if that means going to battle for hope. Um, but that may be a very real reality for some folks because, yes, there's a season where we would retreat in the Lord. He is our hiding place, but we cannot let disappointment and heartache keep us in a state of retreat forever because there's an advancement that has to go on in our lives and in generations. And I thank God, Charlie, that you said yes to hope because there is a life and there are generations inside of you. I can't remember what week it is in pregnancy. It's pretty early on, like maybe 12 weeks, that when you carry a female, is it 12 weeks? She already has two, is it two million eggs inside of her? Mm-hmm. Two million eggs inside of her um, at, at that small stage. And so I just think about the not just the life of Evelyn Hope inside of you, but the lives and the capacity for life inside of her because you chose to say yes to to hope again. And the lives of my other girls, like they're see, and there's still hard moments where they're like, well, if you have this baby, and I'm like, it's amazing how even the doubt creeps into them and trying to teach them about hope. But um, even how this is going to affect how they hope for the rest of their lives Absolutely. and what they teach their children to hope for. I'm going to share one thing, and I'd like you to close us in prayer and to pray for anyone who has lost their hope and and to pray for women to um, conceive that that mm-hmm. is the desire of their heart. What I want to share is um, there's a song called Tell Your Heart to Beat Again um, by uh, Danny Gokey or Phillips Craig and Dean. But Phillips Craig and Dean, they, they were the writers of the of the song, Randy Phillips. And, and it's based off of a true story where a woman had had open heart surgery. Have you ever heard this story, Charlie? A woman had had open heart surgery. Um, I feel like, did they put a new heart in, Jesse? There's a video. You can, you can YouTube it. Anyway, um, either they put a new heart in her or they did surgery surgery on, on her heart. It was open <laughs> anyway. <laughs> and everything's going great. The surgery was successful. Um, but then, um, her heartbeat was not, um, like activating, so to speak. And so, um, her, her surgeon bent down. Now she was sedated, obviously. And he whispered in her ear and he said, you know, Miss Smith or whatever your name is, your surgery went great. Everything that needed to be done is done, but I need you to tell your heart to beat again, mm. and and her heart began to beat, wow. and that's such testimony mm-hmm. about the power of the mind God has given mm-hmm. us, and uh, in transforming our mind through His Word, mm-hmm. and so so my commission is to those listening. God's got this under control. Tell your heart to hope mm-hmm. again. Mm-hmm. He is the great physician. He knows the number of your days, and He knows the desires of your heart. Tell your heart to Mm. hope again. So, Miss Charlie, Mm. if you'll close us out in prayer. Mm -hmm. Dad, I thank you so much for this day and for all the amazing things that you have blessed my life with for my girls. I thank you for the losses that I've had. They have taught me to hope in you, and they've 
put my focus back where they've always needed to be, which is on you. I pray for those women who are out there now who are hiding in the corner. I've been there. I've been there. But it's time for you to get out of that corner. It's time for you to pick up your sword and to fight for your family and to fight for the things that you want and that you desire. God, I pray that you give them the strength. You show them that they are strong enough to do this and that if they're not willing to fight for it, then it might not ever be. You love them and you have a calling on their life. And even though right now they don't have what they want, it's just within their grasp. It's right there to find their hope again, to find their hope in you, that their story doesn't end in sadness and devastation and in loss, but it ends in life and it ends in glory and it ends with a baby in their arms because that's the God you are. You will give us the desires of our heart, but sometimes we've got to fight for those things. We've got to prove to ourselves that we're worthy of them and that we want them. And I pray that these women who are feeling lost and are feeling just devastated, that you will surround them with other women and with their families who love them. And if they can't fight for themselves right now, that those people will fight on their behalf. And that when they're ready, those people will put the sword back in their hand and that they will confront them and they will tell them the truth that hiding in the corner doesn't get you what you want and it doesn't give us our hope back, but that we have to hope in you and we have to put it all in you. You're the only one that can make it all happen. You're the only one who can protect us and that you will protect and that you love and you cherish. And these women whose wombs are empty, that you will fill them, that you will put a light within them, and that you will be the one who says that you're the one that, that you're the breath of life. You're the one that can do that. And I just pray that as the women who listen to this, even if they've never dealt with this amount of loss, but that you will show them someone in their life who needs their prayers, who needs their hugs, who needs their love and attention. And we just love you so much, Jesus. I thank you for the life growing inside of me. We ask that you continue to protect it and that you protect my girls and that um, time flies by so we can meet this sweet little one. And I pray for all the steps you already have ordered for her and that the amazing things that she's going to do in this life because she is hope and she is life. We love you so much, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Entourage Ministries, visit our website at entourageministries.com or visit us on Facebook or Instagram. We gather for our monthly worship gathering open to any woman who has interest the second Tuesday of every month at the Monterey in the Arts District of Durant, Oklahoma.